Hi, I'm Tara Gold. You're joining me at home. At home refers to being at home within oneself, within the world, and at home with spirit. This podcast is raw and it's real. It's sometimes panel style, and it's always shared in a conversational style. Join me here for holistic lifestyle tips that really make a difference with scholars, medical professionals, scientists, cultural creatives, and artists that share through their lens. What all these conversations have in common is that we're all dedicated to empowering and inspiring each other to cultivate inner wisdom and also to share it. Welcome home. And, and I get to be here in your home today in uh, Issaquah, Issaquah, Washington, which um, is so beautiful. It's <laughs> so yes. sweet to be here. And I want to say first that I'm here with David Spangler and with Julie Spangler. And I will give an overview of David so people can know who you are if, if they don't. David Spangler is a spiritual explorer, teacher, writer, husband, and father. While studying at Arizona State University to become a molecular biologist, a childhood contact with subtle worlds blossomed into a collaborative relationship with inner beings, which resulted in his leaving the university in 1965 at the age of 20. He then began his career as a teacher and explorer of subtle and spiritual realms that he still pursues today over 50 years later. He was co-director of the Findhorn Foundation community in Northern Scotland from 1970 to 1973, a Lindisfarne fellow. Yeah. And in 1974, he became founder of the Lorian Association. His work with both his non-physical colleagues and his Lorian associates has led to the development of incarnational spirituality. He's the author of over 30 books, wow including Journey into Fire, Apprenticed to Spirit, and Working with Subtle Energies, as well as four anthologies of short stories. He writes a free monthly email essay called David's Desk. And I have to say right now that I love David's Desk. Great. <laughs> and I'm always okay. delighted every time there's a new one. <laughs> Information about David's Desk online courses and books and workshops can be found at laurian.org. And you're living in the Pacific Northwest, happily married. Happily married uh, to Julie. <laughs> you have to say that, the happily part. <laughs> well, I think, it, I think it's true. And they have four adult children and two grandchildren. That's right. Do. That's right. And so do I. And so do you. <laughs> and uh, Julia, anything you can say, because I know you've been a part of this whole journey, uh, at least starting from Findhorn onward when you met each other. Yeah. So I went to Fintorn when I was 20, following a call, and and ran into this guy there, and it was just, um, we took a while to come together in that way, but, but there was definitely that sense of the you know, resonance, that inner resonance with um, what David was bringing through, and um, there was no question in my mind that this was what I was here to work with. Meaning the, the work that was coming through David? The work that was coming through David. Um, and of course, what Findhorn was a place of resonance as well. I mean, this is a beautiful, um, deep place to jump into the spiritual waters in a sense. So yeah, so I'm a mother of four kids. I've been teaching parenting classes for over 20 years. Um, I've been uh, doing counseling work and teaching through Lorian. Um, yeah. And I and for anybody who doesn't know, I was born at Findhorn, sort of. I was actually <laughs> conceived nearby on an island that's associated with Findhorn, Iona, mm -hmm. and then born um, in forests right outside Findhorn. But my parents met at Findhorn, yeah. so I lived there in my earliest part of my life. Um, and I have to say that also. Um, knowing that from a young age had magical quality mm. that i knew i had been born someplace very special just partly because of the way it was talked about in my family yeah. but also anyone that met my family whenever they heard i was born there 
he treated me as if I was a magical creature. <laughs> like I was some kind of unicorn or, or you know, oh cabbage patch kid. <laughs> you know, something unusual. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but there was something to it. So in my years of knowing and not knowing bits about it, and I've been back a few times when you were there overlapping and time when you weren't overlapping with that. We got to be together at one point for a sound healers conference, I think mm -hmm. one week there. And um, I think that's when I saw you last there. Probably. Yeah, but um, but it's it's been a um, so inspiring. Places like Esalen, Kripalu, um, other um, intentional communities based there their forming of, of the community off of the what was going on at Findhorn. Yeah. So I know that from many years of spending time at Esalen, uh, for one, you know, growing up in California there. Um, and I just have to ask you both, uh, first of all, what drew you both? Mm -hmm. And um, which I know is different. And then in your time coming together, and David, you became one of the primary spiritual teachers there for the community, at least that's my understanding. So I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and this would have been in the 1965 onward, 66. And one day I got a, uh, a call from a man named Anthony Brooke. And he said he'd been given my name, um, and I forget by whom, um, but he wanted to get together with me. And Anthony Brook was uh, a gentleman uh, who was traveling around the world. He was visiting various spiritual communities and taking um, pictures. So he had developed a slideshow and he was journeying to various metaphysical groups and centers in the United States to show this slideshow. But he was actually living, his, he had a, a bungalow at Finhorn. So a major part of the slideshow was about Finhorn. So he, we got together for lunch and he told me about Finhorn, which was the first I'd heard of it. Uh, and he said, you know, David, you really should go one day there. And I thought, wow, this is, this is really interesting, very special. But I had no way of, of going there. Um, so that sort of put out of my mind. But then in, in, in 1970, um, I had a, a strong direction from my own inner contact that said, your work in America has come to an end for a period of time and your next cycle of work is going to be in Europe. And I had a friend then who was a very, uh, she had been a student of mine and she was fairly elderly. She was in her 80s and also very wealthy. <laughs> and when she heard this, she said, David, I'll, I'll pay your way over there. Um, was, that, was that Myrtle? No, that was that May was, Hannah. Okay. That was May Hannah. So uh, that's how I ended up at Finhorn. And it was interesting because uh, well, I went to London and there were people in London who said to me, um, oh, we're, we're familiar with Finhorn, but you, you shouldn't go there. It's really a, a Peter Caddy's something of a scoundrel. <laughs> and uh, he did not have a particularly good reputation mm. because the, um, the way they, they saw it is that there was a bunch of psychics up in, in uh, Scotland and Peter was drawing people in and then they had to pay Peter in order to work at the community. Mm. Uh, so they thought he was running a, a con really. Oh, and I I'm thought, well, I'm going to do one thing. There you go. Got it. I thought, uh, no, I, I really feel I need to, to go up there. So I called Peter and he said, oh, David, you have to come up right away. So I did. I went up by, by train and uh, he met me at the train station in Forays. And I just remember being embraced in this huge bear hug. He was a big man, Peter was. Mm -hmm. As it turned out, May Hannah, some three years earlier, taking one of my classes, had taken, uh, I, I had written a little booklet about the Christ that I had made up for people in the class. And unbeknownst to me, she was on Finhorn's mailing list. 
and she sent a copy of this booklet to Finhorn, where Dorothy McLean read it, mm -hmm. and Dorothy then took it to Eileen and said, Eileen Caddy, and said, you have to read this. Eileen read it, and that night she had a vision. And in this vision, uh, God, when she got, she heard this inner voice from the God within, mm -hmm. and it said to her, um, David Spangler is going to come to Finhorn and he, he will uh, be important to this place. <laughs> but they had no idea who I was or where I was. Um, so, so it turned out they had been waiting for three years for me to show up. <laughs> so when I showed up, uh, <laughs> Peter and Eileen uh, invited me over for tea and said, David, we've been expecting you for three years and we'd like you to be a co-director of the community. And I thought, okay, this is, <laughs> this is where I'm supposed to be for a while. <laughs> sure. Okay. So that's how I got there. <laughs> now you said you wrote this pamphlet or a piece of about Christ. Um, and that is something I've wondered about and I've had trouble sometimes explaining to people what was the foundational principles were they Christian based or what how do you describe the, the spirituality of what was being presented and shared at Finthorn at, at Finthorn yeah so um, it was a, a, a mixture really Peter came out of a more occult metaphysical background his background was in Rosicrucianism and he'd been trained in the British uh, chapter, I guess you'd say, of the British Rosicrucian Society, which was different from the one in San, San Jose here in this country. Yeah. And Eileen had been part of a, a, a movement really called Moral Rearmament. Can you say it again? Moral Rearmament, which moral? was... Moral, yeah. M O R A L, M O R A L, okay. rearmament, which was a a Christian uh, non-denominational uh, movement, mainly I think in evangelical circles, but not entirely, which had as their basic practice uh, daily tuning in for guidance from God, mm. and Dorothy McLean, third founder of Finhorn. Her background had come out of Sufism because she'd become a follower of Hazrat Anayat Khan and Pir Vilayat. And Christianity, because she was raised And Christianity, Christian. yes. Yeah. So you had uh, a mixture wow. of people. Um, there, was never, there was never anything overt at Finhorn in the sense of here's the community philosophy. What the the spiritual practice was that of building community mm -hmm. itself and so it was rooted in people's relationships with each other and and with an affirmation of uh, this indwelling light or indwelling god within within each person so uh, so that that was really the foundation but peter peter continued to have a very occult perspective and when our Ogilvy Crombie came, Rock, he was the individual who had communication with the nature spirits and he he was an elderly Scotsman, he was in his 70s, um, and clairvoyant and he was also a, an, I guess you say an old school occultist mm -hmm. and hermetic, hermetic philosopher, <coughs> excuse me, so, so as you say there was a mix. And, and, and you're accrediting him for for someone for for speaking to the nature spirits. Yes, Dorothy was in contact with the devas, mm -hmm. which would be like the angelic side of nature, and Rock was in touch with things like gnomes and fairies and elves and elementals, that kind of thing. So yes. Thank you. I've never heard that part of the story. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get this? Yes, please. Oh. Um, not so dramatically, <laughs> but everybody has their own story totally. about what called them to this place, just as with um, any of the other spiritual places that people are drawn to. Um, but I, I was in 
uh, I was at the University of Washington here and had finished my sophomore year and just turned 20 when I knew it was time to go uh, explore the spiritual side of my nature and my life. And I just, I had heard of Fintorn, my sister and her husband had found Fintorn on their travels in, in Europe and were there and writing to me about this place. And I, as soon as I heard about it, I knew that that was when it was time, that was the place mm -hmm. that I would go. So it was just one of those unspoken understandings that I had with my intuition and my sense of timing. This is a place and that, that's where I'll go and I'll know when it's time. And when I turned 20, it's like a, a door opens that it's time. Mm -hmm. So I went over there and um, that was the second year that David was there. And when I uh, read David's book that he had written at the time and heard the talks that he had given previous, he wasn't there when I got there, he was traveling. Um, it was like uh, he was saying things I knew but didn't know mm -hmm. how to say or didn't know that I knew. So it was just feeling so at home and completely getting what he was talking about, um, which is interesting because I started, they would have visitors um, teas where we could listen to a, a talk of David's and then talk about it afterwards. And uh, I found myself explaining what he was saying to the other visitors. And so not so long later, they asked me to take over doing the visitor teas because the woman who was doing it had to travel. And I, it was from there into working with the, I was in charge of the, the new members and the visitors mm -hmm. and um, moving them through sort of the, the program of Fintorn, which was basically working together. At that time, when you first arrived, about how many people were living in that community? So when I first arrived, there was a, a, a core group of about 15 people. Yeah. And then there were, I don't know, 10, 20 visitors at this time, because it was toward the end of summer. Mm -hmm. By the time, a year a year later, a year and a half later, by the time Julie came, By the came, time I got there, there, there were 60. 150 people. By the How time... Many? 150. By the time I got there, there were 64. Yeah, and then... It, and then, then a half a year later, there was... There was yeah, so, so it kept growing kept quickly. Growing it really did. Quickly. It grew yeah. exponentially, yeah. but it did not really grow in size. So those... Yeah. <laughs> All those people were living in the same space and trailers that the 15s or so had been living in, well, more or less. They expanded up into Pioneer. Well, they had gotten the bungalows and yeah. things, but yeah, it was... And the rest of the people were visitors that would travel in and out? And then there were a lot of visitors. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we figured one point we they got to like around a thousand visitors through this whole summer. Mm -hmm. Through a summer? Yeah. Wow. People would come for a day or they'd come for a week or they'd come for... Uh, you know, a period of time, and some would stay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know, I do know uh, that there have been a few books that were written that came out of it that also, I think, added to the mystique uh, of Finthorn. And I know there's different views about how it was written about, too. I've heard uh, about people that were actually there saying, well, it wasn't quite like that for me. <laughs> a little you know? glamorized. Yeah, yeah. Things get glamorized. Glorified or glamorized. Sure. I've, heard, I've experienced that same thing with different teachers, too, where mm -hmm. I've known certain teachers and then... Um, you read these books later, or people do it. I'm thinking of Ram Dass as I say this, because um, I knew him quite personally in and out of my life, and then I watched how things explode, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the mystique that builds around certain teachings, which is wonderful because it means it's resonating on the one hand. On the other, it could become really uh, different than maybe it what it's polarizing, doesn't it? Yes. Where he's up there, and I can never attain that, and yes. he becomes somebody that I. I worship or even if he's not saying that or wanting that yeah yeah and I know you've probably encountered the different versions of um, maybe what well, we could call it projection I guess too <laughs> maybe um, I, I even said to you earlier when we were sharing time together before podcast time uh, there's a idea that a spiritual teacher is not going to do certain things other humans do right <laughs> this idea like that you're maybe supposed to sound or look or 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 behave a certain way, whatever that means. I don't even know what it is supposed to look like, 
but there are these ideas. It looks holy. It looks so holy. <laughs> like, like some kind of perfection yeah. uh, that is associated. I don't know what that means. Well, and that perfection would have to do with everything that we assume, okay, is in meditation all the time, or right. Samadhi. You know, never gets angry, <laughs> yes. or has emotions. Yeah. Or, yeah. Right, right, never, right, right. Doesn't have, is maybe above the human tendencies somehow. Right. Yeah, it is interesting because Finhorn was, on the one hand, an ordinary community, living with ordinary people uh, and eventually with families. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, at the, there was at the same time this truly magical energy field, which visitors certainly felt for the most part, uh, but those of us living there felt as well. Yeah. And but Finhorn's gone through various stages. It's had its ups and its downs, and, and we were fortunate to be there during a very creative stage when things were being developed. There were, a lot of it was new, and um, it was very creative and very magical. About a year after we left, or a couple of years, it went into a real down phase, where um, things became very much more difficult. The community was on the verge of bankruptcy and, mm -hmm. and went through a period of financial austerity. Uh, and then it came out of that. And, you know, so this, it's, it, cycles. it's it had cycles. these cycles, yeah. 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 And what, what a person experiences um, depends a lot on the cycle that True. they were in. <laughs> that makes, yeah. And I've experienced that by being closer to Esalen in my lifetime. And they almost had to shut their doors not that long ago. And then they reemerged. And I've never seen it be more beautiful than it is now, you know. Uh, so these things happen, right? Yes. Yeah. It ebbs and flows of life. All of us go through this. Yes. It's part of nature, really. Yes. And it's very human. Mm -hmm. And we are human. No matter how spiritual a person is, they're still human. Still having the human experience. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. is to be celebrated. Yeah. And and recognized. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that each of us at any time can be a source of miracles. It can be something transformative in our environment. And at the same time, we're something very ordinary and... and um, dealing with with the things that ordinary humans deal with and that's true for everybody yeah um so if i recognize that then then my practice becomes one of being open to what's the miracle that wants to unfold here yeah. is that a question not, that not just in me but but in the people with that i'm with uh, what you just said the way you said it was uh I, want, I thought of that like that could be um, a real invocation and a, a way of starting even a, a prayer or meditation moment, you know, yeah. like just, yes. to, just to open to what is the miracle yeah. you know, of, right this now, moment. of this yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you mentioned magic earlier. I don't think of magic as something unattainable. Some people do. They think of it like something so outside of the realm of possibilities. Mm -hmm. To me, that's, that's part of life. That's, yeah. Oh, could you speak to that at all, either of you? <laughs> well, well ahead, what is magic? What is magic but um, that synchronicity that happens all the time in our lives yeah. that we're not looking for and not expecting or those things that we're um, reaching for or wanting that suddenly uh, we find ourselves in grasp of, or maybe something unexpected comes out of left field and we don't, we weren't expecting it or looking for it, and then there it is. This, these things happen in everybody's lives all the time. Mm -hmm. We can um, open the door to it more consciously by paying attention and by um, even putting the request into our field of presence, our field of being, like I am going to. Um, set up a resonance for this in my life. Mm -hmm. And then what are the steps I need to take to bring that into being more, more clearly and more consciously? I want, um, I'm ready for a relationship. So I have to be open to inviting someone close. And what are the things that block me? 
and what are the things that I resist and how do I notice those and being becoming aware of our choices mm -hmm. in the matter. I think all that's involved with magic and the magic that life is. Mm -hmm. Just it's it's very real, it's very down to earth and it's also real and down to earth is magic. <laughs> it's pretty uh, special place we're living in here and being in these bodies mm -hmm. and, and everything that comes with that is um, much more glamorous than we give it credit for. <laughs> I'm going to call it glamorous because we were talking about glamour and glamour seems like something that casts a, an unreality over something. Mm -hmm. But when you shift how you look at it, mm -hmm. everything's glamorous. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sparkle. <laughs> There's a sparkle. There's a, certainly frequency, energy, and spark, and light. Yeah. Yeah. In the world, in ourselves, in each other. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes I think it's just, uh, are, we, are we opening ourselves to see it, mm -hmm. and looking for it, and being alert to it? Mm -hmm. What would you say about magic? <laughs> Well, I think of, of magic as uh, connectedness, yeah. mm -hmm. because uh, when I'm connected to something, energy can flow in that relationship. It doesn't have to be with a person, it could be with a place or with a thing. Or, but when energy flows, then that's when something happens, something that becomes possible that may not have been possible if that energy were not present, that flow was not present that connection was not present. You know, if I think of the sort of the traditional hermetic images of the magician who's using, um, uh, you know, he's doing ritual and, 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 and various correspondences and having the right minerals and the right colors and the right um, plants and so on uh, as part of his, his or her ritual and so on. All of that is just forming connections. It's just forming connections that allow something to manifest. And generally, what we think of it, when we think of it as magical, is simply because the connections are tying us into a larger world than the one that we usually think we inhabit. And, and in that sense, magic and the idea of magic helps to break us out of our narrow perspectives in which we, we actually deny ourselves, we cut off connections that are there, our worlds become very narrow and circumscribed. Um, and if we break out of that, then indeed very magical, what we would think of as very magical or synchronistic or amazing, miraculous things can happen. But essentially we're just forming connections. And when those connections are formed with love and with honor, for the world around us, so that's when things really start to flow. Mm, that's beautiful, and I experience it that way, the way you describe it. I knew what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> he says yeah. it much better. He says but it like I said, it's paying attention, right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, my job is so easy. I only ever say what people already know. <laughs> And it just resonates. <laughs> it just connects. Yeah, it does. <laughs> oh, um, can you speak to, well, what you just said, something popped in when you said it, which is, I, though I came from Christian roots, and you know my grandparents, you know where I come from on yeah. that side of the family, as well as my other side of the family. You know both sides of my family, which mm -hmm. is amazing. Um, and uh, the though I came from the, the more Christian roots, I um, found very early in life, I was very drawn to Eastern traditions. So you know that I've been very involved in yogic traditions mm -hmm. and Chinese medicine, Japanese, um, Korean even. And one of the things that um, came across a lot in Indian traditions is um, referring to, well, yoga means a form of union and relationship, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's um, talk about things being like a woven piece of fabric. Uh, when it comes to trying to describe the interconnectivity of, of different layers of life or consciousness that often emerges in literature, in Sanskrit being translated into English, it comes across often. So I, I, I wonder about incarnational spirituality and anything you might be able to share in a very short time because 
clearly it could be days and years worth of material, <laughs> but, um, but just anything mm. you could share about that. Um, this interconnectivity of, and that we connect and sometimes forget that we can connect to something much larger that's going on. Yeah. So I'll start with that one. Um, incarnational spirituality is a, a way of looking at ourselves and the world that honors the sacredness of being here, of being embodied, of being uh, in connection with the world. The, the act of incarnating, of taking on a body, is a, is a profound, complex act of forming relationships. M many relationships, I mean, our, our bodies are made up of trillions of cells. Those are all individual life forms, each with their own spiritual journey. And so, in a sense, I'm a mediated identity. I'm, I'm in, I have this vast community of life that's making my presence here possible. So there's connections with myself, there's connections with, uh, you know, the, the forces of life, there's connections with nature, there's connections with family and parents and genetics and lineages, there's connection with humanity, there's connections with the spiritual world. I mean, all these connections that come together to form this one unique manifestation of sacredness that we call the individual. And so incarnational spirituality honors that and says, uh, because I have found so many people uh, either are, they don't, they don't have a very positive view of themselves, or they have a sense of incarnation is a, uh, an act of exile. Uh, my real self, place I really want to be is somewhere else, spirit or nirvana or something, um, enlightenment or what have you. And I, I say it's like entering into a, a marriage. If I marry Julie, but, my, but I'm actually really wanting to be with you, then that makes my marriage with Julie much harder because I'm I really, I don't, I want to be with you, not Julie. And if I'm looking at this physical world and saying, I'd really rather be in spirit, mm -hmm. then the marriage of my soul with the world can't take place. It's, 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 um, yeah, it's broken from the beginning. So incarnational spirituality really is an approach to heal that, to say, we are not broken people. Uh, we inhabit a world that is both physical and spiritual, energetic, subtle, all these dimensions, it, it converges in us as a wholeness. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? How do we embody that? How do we understand that? And how can we serve the world out of that place? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I was going to say too, and mentioning that so all of the world's religions are focused on going out to God, to spirit, to oneness, to unity, um, and incarnational spirituality is saying, yes, and this is also one with that, your body, mm -hmm. your humanness, your connections with the earth, with the nature spirits, with the devas, with the, the, the whole field of the planet, with Gaia. It is also a sacred connection mm -hmm. and a sacred, uh, an expression, a manifestation of the the oneness, the wholeness, the sacredness, the generative mystery, God, Christ, whatever we want to call it, all of it, mm -hmm. um, Allah. Mm -hmm. it, and we cut ourselves off from it mm -hmm. by saying it's just out there. Mm -hmm. So when we... Um, <laughs> when we acknowledge or accept that this incarnating into a body in this place is an act of love mm -hmm. from the soul and that the soul wants to be here mm -hmm. that um and that and that this is the way it gets to be here mm -hmm a whole different relationship with ourselves opens up. That's to me, that's what incarnational spirituality is. It's, it's a recognition and a, f 
an experience of the soul coming in and being welcomed in and being unblocked from being fully here, here. Not out there and us going out there, but being here in the world and making, as David was talking about, connection mm -hmm. uh, with what is here as well. And that, um, I think that's bringing the Christ in. I think that's what the Christ did. Interesting you say all of this the way you do, because for me, my, my traditions were, again, more geared toward Eastern, and there is a lot in the yoga traditions that talk about transcendence, or, mm -hmm. or we, are, we are not of the body, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that. There are some traditions that were not quite that way yeah. as well, and that's the one that's where I've been more drawn to. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the practices can be used to go in and out of your body, or they can be used to be to help embody, embody exactly. and to kind of anchor in or resource uh, through the body. Yeah, uh, and that's been the most intriguing to me in my lifetime is is how can we it, uh, keep inviting that relationship and uh, create a sustainable connectivity? Um, because I think it's quite frequent for me, at least, to sometimes go in and out yeah. of in that relationship. Yeah. Um, and I watch how as I go in and out, that can affect my relationships to other people feeling in and out. Yeah. Uh, like you described this, you can't be fully in one relationship if you're considering going out to be in another. Uh, so yeah. being in and out with the sense of connectivity of spirit embodied could also lead to that potentiality manifesting in all kinds of areas of our lives, I would imagine. Everywhere. One of the... One of the important elements of, of incarnational spirituality is the recognition of the importance of the subtle and spiritual world, that they're not, that we're, we actually incarnate into a whole world. And we ourselves are whole beings which have physical and psychological and subtle and spiritual aspects. And the world has physical and psychological and subtle and spiritual aspects. And if I, if I only, if I say I only occupy one of those or two of those, then I'm limiting myself. And, and then I do have this experience of going in and out and in and out. But if I say, no, I'm all of those, then I don't go in and out. I'm just, I access different parts of my wholeness. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm digesting that. <laughs> and I might have to for a while. <laughs> It feels so true. And I watched myself go in and out as you were saying it. Right? You know, it, it's all it is really is just a different way of looking at something, but it takes some practice to make it, um, yeah. to settle into it so that it becomes second nature, so to speak, mm -hmm. <laughs> or whole nature. Like, it, are you in, a, in and out, or are you just looking in a different place? Yes, that's really what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because you're, you're still in. Perspectives, but. Yeah. And Where's your attention, in a sense? That's yes. the wonderful thing, yeah. because we have, we can hear, we can see, we can taste, and how limiting our world is if we only have one of those senses. And it, it, there are times when I'm totally focused through my eyes, and other times when through my ears, more or less, <laughs> at least when I have my hearing aids in. <laughs> and um, I want to be able to experience all my senses as much as I can. The subtle dimension is simply another sense. Mm -hmm. It's nothing really woo-woo or mystical or strange. It's just an integral part of us that we don't pay much attention to. I don't have to go out to it as much as I bring it in to be a sense that I can use and be, become familiar with. Paying attention and noticing. It, it is. It's a, a lot, lot of, of it noticing. is just paying attention. But, but you say that, and I, well, I meet people where their attempt to pay attention happens very from a very mental place, yeah. and others, it, it, their attempt to pay attention in is more body. in their body and other places. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we, we talk a lot about felt sense. You do. Yes. Which is a body thing. Which is a body thing. Yeah. And it's about proprioception, and where am I in space, and what is there with me, and how is it impacting me, and I mean, when you go into a forest, we all have a felt sense of being in the forest. In fact, 
the Japanese call it forest bathing yes. and they send their people out to go forest bathing and it's recognized and and most people don't pay attention mm -hmm. to, to, felt to that felt sense uh, and how they get it and where they they get that feeling of connection and so forth. Well, and I, I had a wonderful teacher many years ago who passed away. Um, he was very involved with Esalen and wrote beautiful books. Uh, one of them was called Body, Self, and Soul, Sustaining Integration. Yeah. And um, his name is Jack Rosenberg. Uh, one of the things that he used to teach in person was he'd take uh, one of those wonderful uh, singing bells, like um, like a Tibetan bell, yeah. and it would, he had one that sang really beautifully and purely. And another was clank, clank, you know. And he'd say, can you hear which one sounds like it rings true to you? You know, and it was to give an example of how to sense through one sense, um, feel itself, that, resonance. that resonance and that sense of um, feeling and knowing, yeah. right? Because we could use it through sound or we can use it through, like you're saying, it could be observed through other senses in other ways, yeah. but it's a subtle knowing of a rightness or a yesness to. Yeah. How else can you describe ways to, to um, experiment with that or to explore that? Yeah, I explore that all the time. I know. To figure out different ways of trying to explain that. Because so much of it depends on the individual. I mean, it's how do I tell you how to see? Um, I don't have your eyes. You will see what I don't. So, for example, I'm hard of hearing, I have no sense of smell and very little sense of taste. It's been that way all my life. Julie will say, oh, I hear the dawn chorus. The birds are lovely this morning, but I don't hear birds. I hear the crows, <laughs> but I don't hear the birds. If I, you know, if I was really materialistic about it, I could say, what are you talking about? There aren't any birds. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody could say to me, David, when you're talking about these subtle beings, I don't see or hear any subtle being. Mm -hmm. But it's just a matter of, of paying attention. And for, you, know, you, I, for you, subtle it, beings are just as here as seeing or, or hearing. Actually, the, the thing of it is, you, yeah. we, we, we get hung up on using the senses we're familiar with. Yeah. We talk about, I need to see or I need to hear. But actually, the way in which we sense the subtle world is a different sense altogether. Which can which can easily be learned, and it's part of the proprioceptive awareness that you're just extending, in a sense, your body sense outward, beyond your body, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then feeling what impacts that. Yeah. I mean, that's a simple way to to say it. But yes, it it it's been a little hard for me to teach it, just because I've never learned it. I was born with that sense, but um, but that seems to me to be about what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Julie will, she will comment about the flavors, the delicate flavors of food. And man, if it doesn't have, you know, ketchup or chili sauce on it, I probably won't taste it. <laughs> a friend of mine, thinking he was now doing me a big me. favor, took me to a French <laughs> restaurant for my birthday. And I might as well have been eating cardboard. I mean, everything was flavored so subtly. And I just brought you cookies from Italy. I don't even know. Actually, if they tasted good. Okay, I, I, really? Because <laughs> I'm sure. thinking they were cardboard. Sweet <laughs> is one thing you can taste. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, give me a cookie. I, I, I can taste cookies. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, me too. So the point I want to make though is that the way in which you experience the subtle world and a subtle being or a subtle partner could be quite different from how I do it. Mm. So trying to model yourself on me uh, could lead to you not honoring your own unique capacities of perception. Yeah. So within yeah. incarnational spirituality or when you're teaching- It's very individually oriented. Oh, I see. Yeah. So be more, um, you work with groups though, I know this. Yes. So, but sometimes it can be easier to do maybe one-on-one for that reason? Well, um, 
No, not necessarily, because we're still encouraging people to what is it that you are sensing and how do you yeah. put it into words. And for some people, it, it can be very visual. Mm -hmm. They have visions and uh, dream images and so forth. And for some people, it's like, I don't, I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. But I do feel expansive. Mm -hmm. I feel bigger. Mm -hmm. um, and... It, it can be as simple as that. And then paying attention to that. What is that sense of feeling bigger? And then what is at the edges of that? And what are you connecting with through that? And eventually people develop their own language and respect for an appreciation of their own particular way of connecting mm -hmm. and perceiving that is different from all the grand experiences that you have or that my friend Catherine has, I have dream envy, Catherine has all these dreams and visions and they're so colorful and they're so dramatic. And what do I get? <laughs> you don't remember them much? Oh, um, no, my, my dreams are much simpler. Mm -hmm. And I know when I've connected with something powerful, but it is not a dramatic, I don't have a gram of drama in me. I just don't. <laughs> And so that's why I'm not an point. artist, you oh. know, I am an audience. Uh -huh. I'm a great audience. I appreciate drama, but I, I don't, um, I, my personality doesn't shape that way. Wow. Yeah. So, so I have had to learn to appreciate the grounded simplicity of my experience mm -hmm. in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's good. Mm -hmm. And the things that, that we teach, I would say there's two principles. One is give people permission to be themselves and to experience the world in their way. And the second is to knock down some of the thought forms and expectations that they come into our classes with about this is how you engage with the subtle world. This is what I should be experiencing. That's what master so-and-so or yogi so-and-so or that's what that person experiences. And and they've set that up as a model for themselves, but it doesn't fit. So giving them permission to go through that model and beyond it and to find what fits for them, that's, that's really a lot of what we do in our classes. I, what you're describing is what I find, uh, there's a big distinction in the world of what I do where there's yoga teachers out there and then there's what they call yoga therapists. Mm -hmm. And the therapists are the ones that have gone into deeper training for medicinal purposes but also for healing purposes, uh, many layers. Um, and they tend to uh, recognize that each person has individual style and patterning and, and uniqueness of how to discover deeper sense of re relational uh, accessibility and connectivity. Um, so there is always that question of, in the early days from what we know, it was handed down one-to-one -one often. Um, that said, there are in the west things are designed in a way that are more group oriented mm -hmm. uh, even more so than in the east sometimes with some of the lineage traditions of sharing um so uh but here's what i find there's also a collective field that emerges so palpably when people come together yeah exactly yeah and That's it right. holds all of us yeah and what happens in there is often quite magical. Exactly. Way beyond me. magic. <laughs> <laughs> Alone. Yeah. yeah. So I end up feeling my ordinariness in those moments because that magic is so big. Yeah. It is so much bigger than me. But I feel the accessibility of it moving through me. You're a participant. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing. It's yeah. your ordinariness that makes it accessible. Yeah. 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 So we're, um, what you just said, I want to I wanna really stay with that for just a moment, which is that it, the ordinariness um, is what makes it so accessible. Meaning, uh, what I hear with that is there's a certain humility as well that needs to be present in order to allow for that to, to move through us. Yeah. yeah. And that softening that you were talking yeah. about, uh, how do you be open mm -hmm. and still honor your own individuality? open without losing yourself yeah that's what incarnational spirituality is about is about accessing and understanding and holding our own individual sovereignty and uh, sacredness and connectedness mm -hmm. within mm -hmm. in connection with that which is not me mm -hmm. 
and honoring the individuality of all of that and the sacredness of all of that. Symbolically, in different cultures, I know triangles have been used to describe things like what we're saying too, where there's this, um, with spirit, kind of a sense of um, meeting at, with spirit, but also bringing it into marriage and in form. Uh, you know, a triangle mm -hmm. can often be used in that way. Is there another way you might describe it other than that? Like, um, you know, a trinity is often talked mm -hmm. about, or through, um, so we're, we're held in this overall sense of spiritedness. And then, of course, there's um, how we connect to each other as mm -hmm. well. So, so. Well, there's the vertical. Yeah. And we're connected with the light above, and we're connected with the earth below, mm -hmm. and the light of the earth below, mm -hmm. and then we're connected horizontally as well mm -hmm. with our world and all that's within it. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that's your classic cross, isn't it? And that's also another and a holy plus sign. symbol. And it's a plus sign. <laughs> <laughs> and then you do the Celtic part with a circle of the all. <laughs> There's a lot of wonderful symbols, but I like, personally, I like the, the without the sort of the, it's like a cutting off of the base of the triangle to me, having it go down as well uh -huh. is valuable. So maybe a diamond. Yeah, I just saw know, a diamond. Up and that. down and, yeah. and across and it's, um, yeah. Lovely. I, I know we're gonna have to end for today. You, I yeah. can say that, um, that uh, I could talk to you for a long time. And I hope to again. <laughs> but it was so lovely. That's lovely, Tara. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you for also inviting me to come back to your home. Yeah, <laughs> it was wonderful to be with your partners. <laughs> we are encountering through this wonderful device. Well, and technology wonderful. And if, yeah, isn't it? And if anyone wants to find David's desk and the Lorian organization, they would go to? They would go to lorian.org. That's L-O-R-I-A-N dot org. O-R-G. Yeah, O-R-G. Yeah. O-R-G. Yeah. yeah, so we could find, you can find more of David's um, information on the books, information on uh, David's desk, which is coming, it comes out monthly. There's podcasts yes. on there. There's podcasts on there now. There's mm -hmm. other workshops being offered yes. that you're both a part of sometimes yeah. and Julie's other teachers. Classes. Yeah. yeah, Julie's oh. classes. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so go visit those areas and, um, and thank you both very much. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Tara. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> hey friend, thank you for meeting with me and my guests. Go to tarawellness.com to join my newsletter and find out what else I'm offering. Please like and follow this podcast. Check out the Tara Gold Wellness video version on YouTube and follow me at Tara Gold Wellness on Instagram and TikTok. Let's keep meeting at home. Home is where